This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Jump into Ephesians. I was going to uh, review and um, I started looking at what Pastor Rob had covered and, and uh, said, I'm not going to do a review. Just go back and listen. If you missed it, go back and listen to uh, the first three because um, uh, it's really life-changing, the revelation that Paul got. And this was written to those faithful disciples, those that uh, were ready to hear more, which also tells us there were some unfaithful ones. Uh, Anyway, okay. Ephesians 1 verse 9, um, Pastor Rob stopped at verse 8, so we're going to start at verse 9. Ephesians 1, verse 9, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Now, you never, you know, start a sentence like that, but you'd have to go back and read so much um, to get all that he was talking about. But here the Greek means already made known. He's already made known his mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So you have to go back to verse 8 to see what he's already made known or what he's done. Uh, It says, verse 8, God has abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, and we saw that was good sense through his grace. In other words, he makes his will known, and then he abounds towards us in wisdom and good sense. I mean, no, we need some good sense and some wisdom. Wisdom is correct application of knowledge. And knowledge comes from the word. We're to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. And when you're doing the word, you're walking in wisdom. When you're uh, hearing the word, that's the input. The output is doing the word. We're to be hearers and doers of the word. And the word says you'll be blessed in everything you set your hand to do when you're a hearer and a doer of the word of God. That's good news. I know how to make you successful. Hear the word and do the word. I'm glad that blessed you so much. He said that, in other words, he reveals himself and prepares the heart. When you hear the preaching of the gospel, it prepares the heart to receive him. And he can abound towards you in grace when you accept him as Lord and Savior. So he's, he's always reaching out. He's given us a whole lot of information through his word. As we listen to his word, faith cometh how? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when we hear his word, you respond to it. It's just like we have some new sod in the back here. It has to be watered. You have to be watered. And I, I tell you, we water this stuff and two hours later it's, it's like it's dry. Because of this little bit of a heat wave we've been having. And I was thinking, boy, we're just like that. We have to be watered. We have to stay in the word. We have to keep that flow coming towards us. That we can grow and be green. And hold firm where we're at. And not be washed down the hill. To flow away somewhere. And all the mud and debris. I like my analogy, I hope you did. 
And Luke 12, 22 says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He said he does all this according to his good pleasure. You know, nobody's twisting God's arm. You cannot manipulate God. You cannot force God to do something. It's his good pleasure. It's his good pleasure that he blesses us. It's his good pleasure to cause us to have every provision in Christ Jesus. He did it, he did it because he wanted to. In Luke 12, verse 32, it says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Say, good pleasure. It's his good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Ephesians 1, 5, we looked at last week, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the, say, good pleasure. The good pleasure of his will. He adopted us because it was his good pleasure. He wanted us. He loves us. And it was his pleasure to adopt us and make us his very own. Philippians 2.13 said, It is God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. He's working in you and moving in you to do his good pleasure. I've heard people say, well, you're just trying to get God. You're manipulating God or trying to con God. You're not going to con God. You're not going to manipulate him. He wants to bless you because it's, he wants to. Aren't you glad he wants to? He is God. He didn't have to want to, but he wants to because that's who he is. God said that he had called us in his work according to it was good pleasure, the mystery of his will. And the mystery of his will is going to be discussed in really Ephesians chapter 3. We'll get into it uh, much more detail, but I'll just give you a little bit. Mystery means something which was hidden in the past but is now revealed. Something that was hidden in the past but now revealed. He has made known the mystery of his will to us. There's many things that the Old Testament uh, prophets, uh, the, the, the saints of the Old Testament did not know. One of them was that there would be a church age, or you could call it, it's the dispensation of the church, or many call it the dispensation of grace. The, we didn't know about that in the Old Testament. It was hidden. It was a hidden mystery. But Paul's unfolding it and said, now it's made known to us the mystery of his will that was hidden. It's made known to us. And it's according to his good pleasure. It was his good pleasure to have the body of Christ, to have a family. It was his good pleasure to have us be born into his very own family. The Old Testament saints would be very jealous of what we have today. But it was a mystery back then. Even Satan did not know the plan of God. In fact, it says in Scripture that if he had known, he would not have done things the way he did things. He would have done things differently if he had known the plan of God. 
In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden, that God destined for our glory before time began. Before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Reason it was hidden it's because God didn't want the enemy to know, didn't want Satan to know his plan. If he had told it to some prophet, some man, they had blabbed it to Satan. <laughs> so it was hidden, this mystery. And this mystery, you think about the church aid, the dispensation of grace, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that every believer could be filled with the Holy Spirit. You didn't have that in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come upon, you know, the prophet, would come upon uh, the king, the priest. But now every believer has the Holy Spirit inside of them. And Satan had to be horrified when he saw the plan of God unfolding before him. They thought he had Jesus. He thought Jesus had sinned, but he had not. He thought Jesus had blown it somewhere and he was able to take him captive. But when he rose up, so what's going on? He's being held illegally because the price has been paid. Release him. And he rose from the dead. And then the day of Pentecost comes and you have the church born. And then Satan sees thousands of Jesuses walking around. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes, we shouldn't have crucified him. All we had to do was deal with him, this one person. But now it's all over the place. It's out of control. We've got to deceive them where they don't know who they are or what they have. Verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together and one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on the earth. He's saying that dispensation, singular, in the fullness of times, plural, is coming. That will gather all those in the earth and all those in heaven. This is speaking of the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this dispensation will last 1,000 years. The dispensation of grace or the church age that we're in now is over 2,000 years long. But it's going to come to an end and there will be another dispensation and it will be the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll gather everything in heaven and everything in the earth into one kingdom, the kingdom of God. This dispensation of the church will end. When will it end? Well, that's a million-dollar question. 
I have my beliefs. I'm going on the first load. I don't know about you, but this dispensation will... <laughs> this dispensation will end at the rapture of the church. Whenever you want to believe that is, but I believe that it's before the tribulation. And I'm sticking to it. And when we're on the way up, I'm going to say, I told you so. <laughs> but there's people I respect on every side of that. And it's not something that we uh, you know, have to stick to. Uh, because there's a lot of scriptures that make you think. Amen? I heard a little bit of amen there. Okay. So the final dispensation again, Satan's kingdom ends on this earth, and Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on this earth. And, you know, right now there's two kingdoms uh, in the earth. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. In heaven, there's just one kingdom, the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is in divine order in heaven perfectly. On the earth, we get these two kingdoms. They're clashing. But there's coming a time where Satan's kingdom, one of the kingdoms here on this earth, are going to be snuffed out. It's going to be over. And at that time... Jesus will be ruling and reigning on the earth. Satan will be bound. He will, that, that dispensation will end after a thousand years. The final uh, dispensation will come. And when it, it ends, the Bible says that Jesus um, will release Satan. He'll be released for a season. And then it will be quickly over. And him and his party will be thrown into the lake of fire. Now why, the question always comes up, why is Satan being released for a season? It's because during that thousand years, there's going to be people giving birth and people being born into the earth during that thousand years. And there will be some who will not be followers of Jesus, even though It'll be a perfect environment on this earth. There's not going to be any bad weather. I mean, everything is going to be perfect. You can have a pet line if you want to. I mean, this place is going to be awesome. But see, even a perfect environment is not good enough. Remember Adam and Eve? Even the perfect, it takes a God inside by his spirit, a new creation inside. So he's going to be released, and even though it's been a thousand years of peace and stuff, there will be people who will follow Satan, believe it or not, and come against Jesus. And that thing's going to end very quickly. And then we're going to have eternity with him. He's going to go ahead and make a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be an awesome, awesome thing. Anyway, that's, 
That's what coming. Ephesians 1.10 from the New Living says, This is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and earth. The complete Jewish Bible says, God will put into effect when the time is right, his plan to place everything in heaven and on earth under the Messiah's headship. Let's go to verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Do you know you have an inheritance? Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The inheritance is possession of an heir. Inheritance is not work for, it comes by family ties. You're born into inheritance. You can't earn this, you can't work for it. You're born into it. Hallelujah. In Romans 8, 17, it says, and if children, then heirs. When we're placed in union with Christ and become heirs of God and joint heirs with his son. So our inheritance, get this, was planned by God before the foundation of the world, before we were, before the children were born. God, who is a God of faith, planned out our inheritance. And maybe we should take some wisdom from God, who's a God of faith, and maybe we should make some plans have you ever heard someone say, well, I have no plan. It's just going to work out because I have faith. Well, faith has a plan. Faith plans for the future. God planned for the future just a little bit in advance. <laughs> and maybe we should plan. Now, it doesn't mean if your plan needs to be changed, God, you, you're open to God changing it. Because you want his plan. Amen? And just here, oh, no, no, I can't plan. I got to have the plan of God. Well, get the plan of God and plan his plan. His plan is for you to leave inheritance. Faith is not forgetting the future, making no plans, expecting everything just to fall into place. Faith makes a plan. Verse 12, that we who first trusted or hoped, this word trusted here is hoped. I looked it up in the Strong's, it's hoped. It's hope. That we who first trusted or hoped in Christ should be to the praise of his glory in whom you also hoped after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also having believed, and that word believe there is faith or committed to trust. You're totally committed to trusting God. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the word trusted here is hope. And hope is a very misunderstood word. We used to, when I was growing up, we'd pick out our Christmas toys and uh, out of the Sears catalog. What's the catalog? Well, it's something I used to send out every year. Had these nice pictures. 
And after marking almost every toy in the toy section, that's what I was hoping to get, but it was really not hope according to the Bible's definition. I was just wishing. I was just wishing. <laughs> I quickly found out that Santa Claus had limits. Not on cookies, but on toys. He could eat on them. Okay. How many times do you pray for somebody? You know, I pray for a lot of times. I pray for sick people and ask them, "Are are you healed?" And they they'll say, "I hope so." That that's just wishful thinking. Hope really is a future expected in. Hope is always in the future. Hope is not the power. Faith is the power that receives what you hope for. Hope is like a blueprint. When you draw out blueprints for like this building, hope gives you something to form. It's the dream. It's the vision. That's what hope is. And you've got to have hope. When you lose hope, faith has nothing to target. Faith has nothing to shoot for. And when you first hear the word of God, hope comes. And it's always future tense. God's going to do this one of these days. You, you have hope. There's a, there's a desire there. There's a dream there. But faith takes it and seizes it and has it now. Faith takes hold of it now. To the point that it says, I don't care what it looks like, what it feels like, what the five physical senses tell me. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with it because God has said it. You come in agreement with what God says and what he sees over what you see in the natural, maybe what you feel in the natural, you have it. And it's just like when they tell me I had prostate cancer and I was, I just immediately went to the Word and I was just staying in the Word, staying in the Word until I um, got in this it's a long, long story, and uh, I won't go into it, but anyway, I got in to ruffle the feathers of the doctor I had, because I wanted them to retest me, and they said they would not do it. They gave me their insurance people, and their insurance people got just irate with me, because they said they wouldn't pay for another test, and um I was saying I would pay for it. Yeah, it was just a, just a mess. And they, they sent me that, that letter, postmark, certified mail, that Ellen happened to pick up and said, we're not responsible when your husband dies. And that's pretty much just cutting to the chase what it was. And I'm, I'm in prayer, and the Lord told me to put in, into the computer on the Internet a Christian urologist. One came up. I went to him. He was a spirit-filled believer. We just hit it off. And uh, 
he, I didn't tell him any of this stuff to afterwards. He did all the tests. I told him, he said, there's no way you got cancer. And, and he read me all the numbers. He said, your numbers are like you're a 20-year-old. Now, he's gone home to be with the Lord. I went to my, my annual of my urologist just the other day, and, and he's just going, shaking his head and said, these numbers. And I, like my, Dr. Talk, you may not know what PSA is, but it's important to guys. And he goes, 1.7. He goes, and even my old doctor, he said, it's as if you had the surgery, but you didn't. He said, it's exactly what it's like. But I was so convinced at that time that when I went to, to see him, I didn't care if the test came back the other way. I knew I had it. And, and you know that you have it when you know, you know that you know. Now, the, and my four doctors, absolutely, absolutely. That's the way the Lord led me not to do anything, just to, to walk with him that way. Uh, God calls himself the great physician. I thank God for doctors. Amen? Hallelujah. I got some poison out of on my face. I went to a med emergency place. I got some, I knocked that stuff out. Hallelujah. So you have hope and, and it comes first and you, then you have uh, faith. Hope is like the uh, thermostat is another great example. You set the thermostat to the temperature you want. It's not the power. Ours yesterday, it was taking a while to get to that goal. That was the dream. That was the vision. But Ellen said, is it working? Little trip outside. It's working. It's working pretty hard. <laughs> it's working. The power or the faith would be the unit. The faith is your connection with God. Mark eleven twenty four. what things? So every desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Desire your hope is your hope. Believing is your faith. I'm skipping down First uh, Thessalonians 5, 8, hope is the soul, faith is of the spirit, but let uh, us who are of the day be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love for and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, the helmet being the covering the soul and the mind, and that being where your hope is located. So we got to have hope and we got to have faith. So we're always in that place, bring ourselves to that. Proverbs 13, verse 12, hope deferred, put, put off, make it the hearts sick, weak. Hebrews 11, 1, head throw this in from the Amplified. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of the things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving this real fact, what is not revealed to the senses. And then the end of that verse, 13, it says, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What a, a great revelation this is from the strong. It, it means seal means to stamp with a signet or private mark for security or preservation. A seal in the uh, ancient world, a king would, um, if he was sending a letter or package or parcel or whatever, he would take uh, a candle and he'd put the wax over the fold and then he'd take his ring to his signet, his, uh, his seal, he would plaster it into the, the, the candle wax and then anyone who saw that knew that that was his property. It was to be handled with the utmost care. It was to be protected. It was to reach its final destination. And it says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Wealthy people, uh, even years after kings, uh, extremely wealthy people would do the same thing. Have you ever mailed something and uh, and it, it arrived to someone it was broken? Or maybe you've gotten something in the mail that had, um, it didn't work right and you were disappointed or, or whatever. And that that's not the way with the seal. To get the seal, a thing was examined first. It, it was looked upon and examined that there's no no fault with it, that's impeccable, it's not broken, it's perfect. That's the way it was looked at before the seal would be put. If it was broken, the king would call for another piece to be, be sent, whatever, and until it was perfect. And then he would put his seal on it. And that, that meant it was going to be safe, have safe passage wherever it was going. Now, God did this to us. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. This seal of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee that you will reach your final destination. When you say, I don't know if I'm going to make it, you're going to make it. Not because of you. It's because you're sealed with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords seal, signet. You're marked by God. You're sealed. Of course, the question then, what part of you is sealed? Was your body sealed? Was your soul sealed? <laughs> say spirit. Your spirit was sealed. When the first thing God did when you were born again, you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he examined you. He made sure there was no fault, there was nothing inferior, that you were perfect, you weren't broken. You weren't damaged goods, you're not damaged goods. Once you give your heart and life to Jesus, you're no longer damaged goods. You're perfect. And he sees you perfect. And he puts his seal, and his seal is the Holy Spirit, which encases your spirit that no defilement from your body or your soul can penetrate your spirit. Hallelujah. 
That means that I'm secure, that I'm going to reach my final destination. Even if I mess up and I blow it, I have a God who has sealed my spirit and encased me that I am his property and I will be delivered on time. The package is coming, ready or not. You may not have any rewards. You may have done nothing for God. I want to go and get rewards. You may go empty, but you're going. That's the reason someone who's given their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ, and maybe they get so sick in their soul that they commit suicide and take their life. Are they going to heaven? Absolutely, if they give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ because their spirit is intact. It is impenetrable by the defilement and corruption of the soul and the body. It's going straight to heaven. Hallelujah. And that's the revelation that Paul is getting. Hallelujah. So you're approved of God. You're special. You're recognized. You're highly favored. You're accepted, righteous, endorsed, affirmed, holy, justified, sanctified, and notarized by the Spirit of God. God inspected you and packed you up and sealed you with the Holy Spirit. You're going to make it. Glory to God. Verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance and to the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? The Holy Spirit's the earnest of our inheritance or he is the down payment. When you bought a house, you had to put down down payment unless you were blessed enough to pay cash for your house. You put a down payment which was the guarantee of the full price that would be paid. And when... God sealed you with the Holy Spirit as the guarantee that you'll get the full possession of the redemption package, the earnest money. Now, the earnest money is usually just a small portion of the whole. If the earnest or the down payment of what awaits us in eternity is the Holy Spirit. What's that place going to be like? We got some good things to look forward to. All this will come to pass at the raptured church when we rise to meet Jesus in there, you'll receive a resurrected body. The full possession takes place then. The final phase of our redemption. You'll receive the full inheritance when we rise up and meet him in the air. It's going to be a glorious time. We're going to feast for seven years. Some of you, three and a half. Some of you aren't going to get a feast. You're just going to go up there and come straight back down. Hey, I have to thought, come on. (laughs) 
I liked it. Baron, y'all, shut your eyes for just a moment. Father, we thank you for the great plan that you have for us. That you plan this for the foundation of the world. We're in awe of you. We reverence you and love you. Thank you for the plan that you have for us. Thank you for unfolding the mystery of your will, making known to us, Lord, what was secret in the Old Testament, making it fully known to us. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Father, you planned this. Jesus, you executed the plan. And Holy Spirit, you revealed the plan and the down payment for the redemption package. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Maybe today you never made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. He's in love with you. He's done everything for you. But you have to receive him. You have to make a decision to accept him as Lord and Savior. You don't just magically find yourself in heaven. You choose him. He chose all of us, but we have to choose him back and say, we receive you, Lord. And we can pray a prayer if you mean it from your heart. You can be ushered into his family. The Bible says you'll be made brand new on the inside. You can't earn this. You don't deserve it. When Jesus was crucified, there was three, three of them on the cross. One of them believed in Jesus. He never did one work. He never did one thing. Can you imagine him going to heaven? Angel saying, why are you here? And he says, I don't know. He said, were you water baptized? He said, what's that? <laughs> Angel said, let me go get the supervisor. <laughs> yes, uh, sir, do you know the doctrines of faith? What's that? Sir, how did you get here? He said, all I know is the middle man on the cross said I could come. You come just the way you are. And he says, you're welcome. And you can be with him for all eternity. That's you with no one looking around. Just lift your hand. If you're watching online, it's invitations for you right now. You can make a decision to receive him. Let's all repeat this prayer after me. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus Christ who died for me. He paid the price for all my sins. He loved me so much 
He loved me so much that he came for me. And I receive him now. I give him my life. I give him my all. Thank you, Lord, for living in my heart. I give you glory and honor and praise. Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277. You